Welcome to It's Your Community with Vanessa Denha, a public affairs presentation of News Talk 760 WJR. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to It's Your Community. I'm Vanessa Denha Garmo here, communications strategist, content creator, and coach with Epiphany Communications and Coaching. My next guest was promoted last year as the Acting Executive Associate Director of Homeland Security Investigations, which is primarily an investigative agency of the Department of Homeland Security. So please welcome Steve Francis. Steve, how are you? Hi, Vanessa. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. I haven't interviewed you in a while. It's been a few years. I interviewed you for a print publication here in Detroit, and now we're having you right here on the radio. So I want to first congratulate you on this promotion from last year, but what what exactly does this position entail, Steve? <laughs> so Homeland Security Investigations is the principal investigative arm of the Department of Homeland Security. So in my new role here as the executive associate director, uh, I oversee a workforce of over 10,000 employees, uh, a $2 billion budget. Uh, our primary kind of investigative mission uh, focuses on you know, over 400 different laws and, and regulations, which includes human smuggling, human trafficking, narcotic smuggling, financial and cyber crimes, uh, national security, counterproliferation, uh, you name it, anything with a border nexus is HSI's kind of investigative authority. So yeah. uh, with the workforce that broad, it's, uh, you know, everything around the globe uh, is being investigated by, or touched through kind of an international border and enforced by HSI. You know, Steve, we, in, the, in, the, in the media, we hear a lot about human trafficking or cybersecurity in recent years. Are those two of the most prevalent things happening, or is this just to happen to be what we, ca- we happen to hear in the public? So I, just it's an interesting topic because last week I, I spoke uh, at the R. Kelly uh, sentencing. Uh, that oh. was an HSI-led investigation. Uh, and yeah, it's definitely a priority for Homeland Security Investigations, HSI. Uh, that R. Kelly investigation was an HSI-led investigation out of New York City, uh, which is, I think many of you are aware, it resulted in a 30-year sentence. So yeah, it's human trafficking, uh, definitely a prevalent kind of uh, issue that's happening. Uh, as you know, uh, a lot of great partnerships with, with NGOs that help support law enforcement uh, in this space. And in Metro Detroit, right, we have a very robust human trafficking uh, group out of HSI that yeah. helps uh, support some of those investigative efforts. Um, so Steve, tell us, you know, what tips might you have for parents or citizens listening today as it relates to human trafficking? So, you know, the public should know that human trafficking, whether it's sex trafficking or forced labor, it really takes place every day and in common places, right? So you can see it in restaurants, hotels, construction sites, uh, domestic work, really just to name a few. And, and we've seen and know that the use of social media is really an aggressive platform that's used by the traffickers to entice and lure vulnerable people, uh, both you know, teenagers and many that are suffering from addiction. And a lot of times it's promised with either love or work opportunities. Um, and needless to say, right, parents and, and you know, other kind of caregivers should definitely be monitoring their, their children's or their kids' actions online. Um, you know, human trafficking is really, uh, it operates in plain sight. Um, and then we know that traffickers and, and kind of information our investigative data shows that they use coercion, uh, such as threats or harm of deportation to their family members. Uh, it's what's important to remember too, is, you know, many of these victims, they are really too fearful to accept any help. So uh, it's 
really interesting and in, in what we've seen and what we've been focusing on at HSI is taking that victim-centric approach. Our investigative data on red flag indicators shows that you know, these folks are usually in a constant controlled environment uh, and an inability to speak freely. Uh, they're submissive or they're fearful and they live in poor conditions. Uh, their answers appear to be scripted and or rehearsed. Mm. Uh, we see signs of physical abuse or you know, really folks under the age of 18 uh, that are involved in prostitution. Uh, these are all the red flag indicators that we have seen historically and, and continue to see now. Uh, I think the first line of defense in, in human trafficking is just being aware of this, right? So we have a lot of resources that are online. Uh, HSI leads the CCHT, which is the Center for Combating Human Trafficking that is uh, you know, kind of overseen by the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, and it really brings our ability to educate schools, religious organizations, and anyone seeking to understand the human trafficking and uh, human smuggling indicators. Uh, the Blue Campaign also is run by the Department of Homeland Security. It's a national public awareness campaign that's designed to educate the public, law enforcement, and other industry partners to recognize the indicators of human trafficking. And for more information on this, you can visit the dhs.gov website slash blue campaign. Uh, and last thing, Vanessa, I'd like to just share is, you know, the public can also assist in fighting human trafficking and by learning of these indicators. We have a tip line to report suspect, suspected trafficking, uh, and that can be sent to the HSI tip line at 866-347-2423. And of course, right, in any emergencies, uh, please dial 911. Oh, this is so helpful, Steve. Thank you so much. Very informative and very helpful information. And it's so important to get that out there. Thank you for that. You know, as a parent too, it's, it's scary, Steve, too, because we know our kids are on social media a lot and you're worried about who they're connecting with in the internet. So, you know, the World Wide web, you don't know what's happening on social media and who they're connecting with. And those are stories and things that parents need to be aware of as well. Yeah, great point, Vanessa. Exactly. And it's obviously, during the pandemic, we found that, you know, most people, including the youth, were, were online a lot more uh, playing video games. And there's so many different ways that, unfortunately, these predators are luring our, our kids or, or anyone into situations that they would think is just a normal friend or someone that they're trying to connect with. But uh, we see a lot of this, these efforts online as well as, you know, in public. So, Human trafficking is definitely something that we want to be uh, well aware of and educating our youth, in addition to child exploitation, which is also a priority for Homeland Security Investigations. We're talking with Steve Francis here on It's Your Community, Acting Executive Associate Director of Homeland Security Investigations. You know, Steve, you've been, uh, I had the pleasure of interviewing you many years ago, and you're, you have uh, been interested in law enforcement, I think, since childhood. So tell us, you know, a little bit about your background. How did you end up in law enforcement and today with Homeland Security? Yeah, Vanessa, so it, you know, I'll go back a step. I, you know, I'm a Chaldean American. I was, I was born overseas. Uh, when we came to the United States, I was always just, you know, passionate, always loved uh, seeing law enforcement and intrigued by it. And it started as a kid I, I, in elementary school uh, at uh, Woodrow Wilson Elementary in Ferndale. We had a police officer come to the school and talk about the D.A.R.E. program. And I was just from that day on, right, I kind of just always had uh, this idea in my head that I was going to be a, a, a police officer. Mm -hmm. uh, then I attended, you know, Wayne State, went into the School of Criminal Justice, transferred over to uh, Michigan State uh, through their School of Criminal Justice. And then I started an internship with the Michigan State Police. Uh, and then really just my career started. I, I started with uh, as a federal law enforcement officer, 
uh, and then as a special agent at the age of 22 and kind of moved around a lot, moved the family around and just always loved my job. And it's probably one of the most rewarding and by the best decisions I made. Uh, and yeah. it just really came to me as a child. You were a special agent at 22, Steve. I don't remember. Wow. That's yeah, young. So. Wow. That's <laughs> impressive. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I'll give a shout out to, you know, Michigan State University, right? Yeah. Internship program and uh, kind of got into the system at, in the federal system and uh, just kept applying. Obviously, you know, speaking Arabic didn't hurt. So I think yeah. a couple agencies wanted to uh, recruit me. So it yeah. worked out well. Did you ever see yourself as, as when you were a kid as a special agent? No, I actually thought <laughs> I was always going to be a Michigan State trooper. Yeah, uh, oh, okay. my neighbor was a trooper, and he pulled into uh -huh. his driveway uh, with a patrol car, and I was like, "All right, I'm going to be a Michigan State trooper." But uh, you know, I, I had a lot of opportunities to, to do many things, and I and I'm fortunate. I, I think I made the best choice in my life being. Yeah. Kind of the, leader of HSI at this point. Yeah, God had other plans for you there, Sarah Steven. So kind of give us an overview. I know you kind of told us what the things that you uh, work on, such as, you know, uh, human trafficking and other issues, but, you know, you oversee more than 10,000 people, 7,000 talented and dedicated special agents. And just give our listeners an overview. What is day-to-day -day li life like for you? What's a day in the life of your job every day? Kind of give us an idea of what you do and your team does every day. Sure, Vanessa. So uh, lots of meetings. I'm in Washington, D.C., uh, so a lot of interagency meetings. You know, my number one priority in this position is to really transform the agency. Uh, and number one priority is always going to be my workforce. So uh, I really take a lot of pride into promoting the workforce. So uh, I go visit a lot of offices, both domestically and internationally. So in the last year, I've probably gone to over 25 offices uh, just to connect with the workforce and get a better understanding of how I can make this organization better. Uh, so you can imagine overseas, right? We're meeting with all of our international partners. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're in 90 countries. So we focus on transnational criminal organizations uh, and all of our work and really our, our broad investigative authority with border search, our ability to uh, focus and, and utilize our, our financial and uh, cyber expertise enables me to get out there and talk about the incredible work that's happened. A uh, lot of speaking engagements, as you can imagine, yeah. uh, press conferences, meeting with partners, um, repatriation ceremonies. So one of the kind of the best days in the last you know, year that I can really be proud about. And we do a lot of repatriation ceremonies in the sense of stolen artifacts or art uh, stolen from home countries where HSI investigates and repatriates them. Re repatriate them. Yeah, I thought uh, that was so cool. I saw that on LinkedIn, a few posts you made. That, that was very cool. Tell us about that. Yeah, so yeah. it was an investigation out of our New York office again. Uh, this was uh, a Gilgamesh tablet that was stolen from uh, the Iraqi people, uh, from the Iraqi museum. And three, four years later, uh, through an incredible investigative effort, a lot of international partners, private sector, uh, it was identified to be uh, in the possession of, of Hobby Lobby. Uh, HSI uh, seized the Gilgamesh tablet, and I had a unique opportunity to repatriate it back to the Iraqi people. And I was told uh, recently by the Iraqi ambassador that it's sitting back in Iraq at the Iraqi museum. And I was invited one day to go back and to see it there and see the credible work that was done by Homeland Security Investigations. That's awesome. What a great story. And it's like, you know, Steve, it's like, it's never a dull moment for you. It kind of reminded me of when I was a reporter, you'd walk into work and you'd never know what the day would entail. You know, there's <laughs> something going on, uh, which is really kind of exciting. Have you been back to Iraq since you emigrated? 
I have. Yeah, I went back twice, actually. So I okay. uh, went back in 2003 uh, as part of a mission with U.S. Customs, uh, okay. focused on, you know, the embargo and, and sanctions against the uh, Saddam, Saddam Hussein regime. Uh -huh. uh, and that's, you know, kind of focuses on counterproliferation uh, in the effort of, you know, technology and munitions that were acquired during uh, by Iraq uh, during the embargo. And then I went back in 2012 as part of a mission with the State Department to do training uh, with Iraqi police and law enforcement. So two really unique opportunities. Wow. I also got to see my family there when I, when I went back in 2012. So quite remarkable uh, in 2003 and 2012. So it was quite wow. remarkable. So were you, were you born in Baghdad, Steve? I was actually born in Beirut. Uh, Beirut, so my, oh, okay. I was, I was the youngest of three. Okay. So my family was born in Baghdad, uh, but we left Baghdad in uh, 1975. I was born, you know, just because I think we we're transiting back into the or moving to the United States. Yeah. And I was born in, in Beirut by default. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So you've been in this new position um, as acting executive associate director of Homeland Security Investigations for about a year now. How is it going, uh, Steve? It's awesome. I mean, it's, you know, probably the most rewarding or remarkable, you know, opportunities and uh, to lead a workforce, to, to affect change, to diversify that workforce, to promote it. Uh, I never thought I would be in this position, uh, let alone yeah. early on to be a special agent, uh, but I, I love it. I mean, I think it's um, really, I look at every day with, with uh, an opportunity and, and somewhat of a sense of urgency in, this, in the sense of, you know, these positions are very challenging, Sure. Uh, a lot of hours, but also uh, I think a unique opportunity to affect some great change into the organization. Sure. And make a change in the country and, and really influence people and, and make this our, our country safer and a better place to live. And, you know, for people listening, um, Steve, you know, uh, we talked about, you know, issues that you're dealing with, but what can they, what should the average citizen know in terms about keeping their own community safe, like what tips or things that people should know on a regular basis that they should be on the lookout for certain things or we're just should be aware of? Look, Vanessa, I mean, we're going dealing with some tough times, right? I think every yeah. day we, we see some tragedy on the news. Uh, yeah. I think it's important, and I'll start off with law enforcement, right? Our ability to stay and build and continue to earn the trust of the community, which I think in return has the community be involved and to provide information right when something doesn't look mm -hmm. right i mean they see something say something lock contact their local police department i think that's really important uh, i think we need to go back to the basics of law enforcement right we need to protect yeah. the citizens that we serve we need to show that we're available that you know we're human beings and the people in uniform are there to protect you uh, and i think you know i definitely sense and i'm mindful of the situation that's happening around the world uh you know our mission at hsi as well as i think law enforcement broadly right they want to earn that trust and respect of the community and, and you know every bad situation uh, sets us back but we need to continue to, to to earn that each and every day and stay engaged in the community and i think it's important in metro detroit right we've got incredible yeah. diverse communities a lot of communities that want to support and do support law enforcement uh and i think it's you know while i was there right i was there from 2012 to 2019 uh i felt that that was highly embraced by the community and, and supported by the community. And that's yeah. the way we're going to protect uh, the communities is, is kind of working together. Yeah, I, you know, for many years, and it's nothing new for especially people in the media know, and in law enforcement, there's still that no snitch rule. You know, I, I've covered so many stories as a 
when I was a full-time street reporter, Steve, where, you know, law enforcement will know exactly what happened in a crime or who did it, but nobody would want to snitch. So they would have no witnesses and they couldn't move forward with the, with the case. And it was, you know, it's very frustrating. And it's still going on today. I, I, I'm actually working on a documentary on kids being shot in the crossfires of uh, urban cities, you know, um, and nobody wants to snitch. Nobody wants to say anything. So I'm sure that's still frustrating for law enforcement when citizens are too fearful to cooperate with police. Great point, Vanessa. I think that's why it's important, right? We got to earn that trust before something happens. I think yeah. you know, when we try to engage after an incident, it's hard, right? And it's the same thing we talked about a little bit earlier with, with you know, human trafficking victims. Yeah, uh, They're not always, you know, I mean, we take, HSI takes, a, and, and I think most law enforcement now takes a victim-centric approach. So it's important that they know that they can speak to law enforcement without any negative consequences and that, you know, as much as we can, their identities are protected and they're trying to, you know, help prevent future incidences, right? Especially with, with violent crime. And I think you're right. It's, it's difficult in some, in many communities for people to, you know, quote unquote snitch, but they got to realize, right? And I heard this and I hear it a lot. You know, I wish I would have said something earlier. I wish I yeah. would have, you know, I could have prevented the next victim from being sexually abused. And I think those resonate with me. And I, and I do believe that we need to, we need to be engaged early and often, uh, even when there's not a conflict or an issue uh, yeah. to earn that trust. Yeah. You know, we're talking with um, Steve Francis today, acting executive associate director of Homeland Security Investigations, uh, which is primarily an investigative agency of the Department of Homeland Security. He's been in this position for about a year now, overseeing uh, more than 10,000 um, employees in his department. Um, and, and Steve, you know, law enforcement is really near and dear to my heart. I, I you know, I have my brother-in-law is a police chief. My um, nephew-in-law is um, it works for the state police. You know, my brother-in-law's brother is a law enforcement uh, in law enforcement. So very near and dear to my heart. What would you, you know, on that along the lines of building trust, you know. Um, what would you say to the average citizen about building that trust with law enforcement? Because that relationship with police in the community is so important and it's been severed over the years. It's been a lot of tension and chaos. What would you say to people listening about how to, how important is it to build a relationship with your local police department? It's critically important. Uh, mm -hmm. I think, you know, law enforcement as well, right? We need to make ourselves available yeah. uh, opportunities, get engaged, right? And, and early and often with, with, things in the community, things that are fun for kids, right? And, mm -hmm. I, and I think, you know, reflecting back on my time, and I know it's challenging at this point to recruit um, the future generations to, to wear a uniform and protect and serve, but it's, you know, one of the most honorable and rewarding positions uh, out there. So I think not only just for recruiting, trust, uh, we need to make ourselves more available. There needs to be a lot more opportunities out there. And I think, you know, and I see it, I think we're doing a better job uh, and, and it's probably long overdue, but I think we need to continue to work on that. As I mentioned earlier, right? Anytime there is a, a video or, or information out there that's portraying law enforcement in a negative way, uh, it hurts. And I think that takes a lot more effort for us to continue to be out there and available. So uh, yeah. just availability, right? Yeah. And then it, yeah. and I think the community leaders play a huge role in this as well, because they can bring, whether they're faith-based or uh, organizations that can bring, you know, kind of that both sides to the, to, the, to the table in the sense of the kids in the community, the parents, uh, the schools, and also law enforcement. Uh, in my experience, right, law enforcement 
is and, and should always continue to be available. You know, you make a really good point. Unfortunately, you know, having been a reporter for so many years, Steve, it's like those stories are <clears throat> very, uh, it's a minor, uh, very small percentage of what police is all about, you know, so you hear these stories, you know, of, of course, we know George Floyd and, but that's such a small percentage. And it's not saying it's, it's okay. And we just have to brush it under the rug. No, it's not okay. But at the same time, it doesn't represent the majority of law enforcement. Um, <clears throat> and so, and so that relationship between community and police, I think is so imperative. And I've seen it firsthand as a reporter, um, how amazing these, what police do. I mean, I've covered so many stories and it just boggles my mind. I'd watch police officers and I'm like, how do you guys do this day in and day out? And so, you know, I'd like to see this country get back into that relationship that we had that was so strong between community and police. Yeah, Vanessa, I think you're absolutely right, right? I think, I don't think any law enforcement professional would think that the George Floyd uh, death was, you know, uh, justified or okay in any way. Yeah, yeah I, I don't think anybody would see that. No. But I do believe, you know, what you're saying is, you know, 99.9% of, of law enforcement professionals out there do what's right. They represent the communities. They, you know, wear the uniform with a lot of honor and dignity. And mm -hmm. they are going to be the first responders, right, to any critical incident. Uh, and that's important to, to I think, anyone in a, that, that has you know, the, the, the law enforcement, you know, hat of sorts, right? Whether they're uh, administrators or in the community, uh, it's important to, to remi remind that ourselves of that as well. Yeah. Steve, I talk to a lot of young people as a career coach. I do a lot of career transition. It's so funny, ironically, lately, I've been talking to a lot of young people that want to go into the FBI. So I'm like, oh, that's interesting. It happens to be the last few people I've talked to. I, I want to be an FBI agent. What advice would you have for young people today interested in law enforcement and particularly the, working for the federal government and in law enforcement? So I would try to recruit them to HSI, but <laughs> <laughs> the FBI is an incredible organization as well. Uh, look, the, the reality is, you know, federal law enforcement, I think we do still get a significant number, <clears throat> excuse me, of applicants. Uh, I, we just had a general announcement for HSI special agent, and we were close to 10,000 applicants in a three-day period. Uh -huh. So I think on federal law enforcement, we, we, we still have some significant numbers that are of applicants, but we're always looking for, right, diversifying our workforce, looking for great, talented uh, individuals. And, you know, what my advice now is, right, like, Historically, you know, people went into school of criminal justice, which is still a great opportunity to go into law enforcement. But hey, someone with a cyber or financial background, banking, administrative, I mean, we're looking to recruit and diversify that talent pool as well. Uh, mm. And I, I'll say this again, right? Like it's, it's an incredibly rewarding uh, position to be in. Uh, I'd never thought, you know, I have visited, you know, all the countries and places in the world uh, that I would never have the opportunity to do. Uh, and also, you know, protecting the American public, the national security of the United States to be in these positions at HSI, FBI, DEA, ATF, I mean, you name it, right? It's pretty, pretty remarkable. And then yeah. I'll throw a shout out to uniformed law enforcement. I mean, to be in the communities uh, that, that you live in and that you go to, you know, church at and to protect those individuals and to, to serve in those communities as a uniformed law enforcement officer, I mean, quite remarkable as well. You make a really good point, Steve, that you don't have to have a degree in law enforcement um, to work for HSI, but is it a natural transition for people listening, young people listening, and people even I coach, is it a natural transition to start 
in um, the local police department and then work your way up to HSI? Or could you apply, like you said, maybe you have an IT background or a banking background or something that could be of value to HSI. You don't have to have served as a police officer. Yeah, I, I mean, I think just any work experience, right? And some of the professions, I mean, we talked a little bit about the, how diverse the, the work you know, programs are and yeah. the diff different types of investigative efforts. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a, number one, a degree, right? A, a great record mm -hmm. uh, and having the ability to uh, have some experience before you apply always, uh, you know, probably will move to the top and, and move through the qualification requirements to be a, a special agent in the federal government. Uh, and, you know, as I mentioned earlier, right, what, what should intrigue people is, you know, some of these cases that have, I think, that people can resonate with, right? So I'll, I'll talk about a few, the R. Kelly investigation, El Chapo, Guzman, uh, the human smuggling investigation out of San Antonio that we've all heard about and read about in the last, you know, four weeks uh, that resulted in the deaths of 53 migrants. That's an yeah. HSI investigation. Uh, inventing Anna, you know, again, HSI. So these types of investigations, the $3.8 billion that was seized uh, out of New York on kind of an intrusion and a, a cyber theft of cryptocurrency. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, that was a HSI, IRS, wow. FBI investigation. You're thinking about all the, the Russian sanctions now with all the yachts and uh, real estates being seized. Those are all being led by the federal government, HSI, and a significant number of those investigations and leading those efforts because of our international kind of footprint working alongside our international partners. Uh, so the, the, the rewarding aspect of the job is, is remarkable and the opportunity to uh, not only just stay focused in one area, but you have a unique opportunity to you know, do cyber investigations for a couple of years, then move into human smuggling or trafficking or move into the child exploitation unit. So it's not one set career path for, for 25, 26 years. Uh, it's your opportunity to kind of, you know, go into what you're interested in and, and, and move around and also have the opportunity to, to move overseas and, and work there as well. Yeah, that's a great example. Thank you for that overview of all the different cases you're working on, especially those that we're familiar with because it's been in, in the media, but it gives us a great uh, idea of some of the cases that people could work on in HSI. I didn't know it was so varied, uh, Steve. So thanks for sharing that with us. What else do you wanna share with our listeners that I didn't ask you? I mean, there's so much I can ask you. And I know there's some that you can share, some things you can share and some things you can't share, but what, what else do you want our listeners here on It's Your Community to know about the work that you do and um, the relationship between community and police or anything else that you want to share with them? Any other cases you want to share with them? So Vanessa, I would say I can't, I mean, law enforcement can't do this alone, right? Yeah. So how important it is to continue to work, you know, as I mentioned, the communities, uh, the NGOs out there, the private sector, we do an incredible amount of work. Uh, on the private side, not only you know in the sense of protecting our national security, but our economic security, and you know probably most importantly, uh, the public safety. Uh, so, those are things that you know law enforcement cannot do alone. Uh, it's important that we we continue those relationships. Uh, we have a tremendous amount of support uh, from all those different sectors uh, that support us almost in every investigative effort, and that's a good mm -hmm. reminder right, that these things aren't done you know, kind of in silos or, or in a vacuum of sorts. And, but uh, without the community, without the private sector, without our NGO partners, uh, it, it's hard to do our job. So a big thank you to the community uh, and just want to remind everyone how, you know, we're here to, to serve our communities and it's important uh, that everybody knows that. Steve, what, what resources can you share with our listeners um, today? 
So there's a few, Vanessa. So first, I would say, you know, if any indication of any sort of fraud, uh, theft, any sort of public national security concerns anyone has, they can report it to their local HSI office, the Detroit field office. Uh, as it relates to human trafficking, HSI leads the Center on Combating Human Trafficking here in Washington, D.C. They can visit our website on human trafficking and smuggling indicators and a lot more information that's available at www.dhs.gov. And lastly, any kind of school officials or parents, they can go to uh, our HSI uh, website or go to the iGuardian for tips on online safety. Uh, and it, our HSI tip line is 1-866-347-2423. Steve, thank you for that. And if people do want to apply for a position with HSI, what do they do? So all of our positions are posted on usajobs.gov. Okay. And they can just, in the search, type in HSI special agent or special agents, and they'll see a wide variety in all of our kind of federal law enforcement uh, communities post their positions online, whether it's a uniformed uh, or Customs and Border Protection, HSI, FBI, DEA, they're all posted on usajobs.gov. Right. And I just want to add, thank you for really reiterating the importance of collaborating. A lot of what we talk about here in it's your community is connecting, communicating, collaborating with the community and the work that HSI does with the community and collaborating with other organizations such as NGOs and others and community groups. Thank you so much for saying that, Steve, because it's so important that we're that people remember we're all in this together for the greater good of our community. So thank you for joining us and sharing your story with us, Steve. Thanks, Vanessa. It's been a privilege. Uh, always a pleasure talking with you. And, and as a fellow Chaldean, very proud of Steve Francis and all the work that he's doing as the ex acting executive associate director of Homeland Security Investigations, HSI, which is part of the Department of Homeland Security. If any questions or comments, show topics you want me to get to, you can reach out to me, Vanessa Denha-Garmo, by going to Epiphany Communications and Coaching. You can private message me there or go to any of my social media platforms, Vanessa Denha-Garmo or Epiphany Communications and Coaching and private message me on any of the platforms. As always, we remind you, our listeners, to connect, communicate, and to collaborate with your community. We'll catch you next time here on It's Your Community. It's Your Community, a public affairs presentation of News Talk 760 WJR.